Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Self-help has this kind of negative connotation because how sad does that sound? Like self-help? Like you have to, I have to do it all by myself? But the reality is you're not doing it by yourself. And in fact, if you're only doing it by yourself, you're probably not getting anywhere. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I got my buddy co-founder of Mind App, Aaron Albert. Welcome. Thanks, dude. Good to be here. Good to have you here, you know. We haven't had a jam session to explain or chat with the world our thoughts on the current circumstances of mental health and how do we even navigate that. Well, you've been hiding me and us and our relationship. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> um, I'm in a primary with Kylie and then you're my, uh, you're my peripheral uh Side booty. That's fair. That is totally fair. It's the perfect time to talk about it. We had the idea to create a different way of orienting towards mental, relational, emotional health challenges before the pandemic. And things have certainly changed since the pandemic. And, and I would say gotten exponentially worse. Uh, is that fair to do you think that's fair to say? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think from where we sit, you as a practitioner of this stuff and, and, and me as an entrepreneur, um, you know, the conversation is very different even yeah. today than it was three years ago. And I think three years ago, we were still in this space of saying, oh, mental health is really destigmatized. And there was a, I think, pretty broad understanding and um, consensus from people that like this 
is something we should take care of. We should be taking care mm-hmm. of our mental health. But I think the effects of having been in the pandemic and now coming out of the pandemic and the conversation around how much desperation for the help there is now is something that I had never seen before. Understanding that we were so understaffed. Uh, yeah. It, you know, there's not even close to enough practitioners to support the amount of demand that there is. And that's pretty gnarly. Yeah, it really is. You know, prior to the pandemic, there wasn't enough practitioners, <laughs> you know, and mental health as a, as a conversation has been destigmatized on some level for sure. Like it's a main part of the dialogue in a way, a lot of corporations, they tend to orient towards things that on one level, yes, are good for their employees. But ultimately, if you look at what is the motivator of a company to implement anything is usually correlated to profit, productivity, all that kind of stuff. And if that's the motivator that gets a company to actually start to look at these things and encourage these things, I just think it's so alarming that we don't look at mental health like we look at physical health generally. You know, we look at physical health as a primary sort of like we have gyms, we have all these things, but we don't, you know, in school, we're, we don't have like mental ed class. We have phys ed class. Right. You know, it might even be named something else now. I don't even know, like activity hour or something. <laughs> I remember when I was in college, they changed the degree for phys ed to, uh, to something else. So it, it sounded better, sounded more right. uh, intellectual. There's not an active encouragement of processing or exploring or balancing or doing things that are really about mental, emotional and relational fitness, which there's so much opportunity to change that to, and to realize that that is so correlated to our physical health. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think when you and I started this company, I think we came into it with this idealism and sort of, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, if you will, <laughs> saying we want to change the world. We want to change the way people relate to the experience of emotional well-being. And I think a lot of companies in our, what I would call generation, you know, I would say we are like Gen 2 mental health sort of tech company. So if you think about the talk spaces, the head spaces, the better ups is sort of maybe Gen 1 You've got these platforms that I think are trying to do a better job at democratization in a more one-to-many way. And I think we probably fall into that category. But I think what we have learned is that our quest to say people are going to treat their emotional health like they treat their physical health is still just a dream. And it is, we're still so far away from that. And I think that's at the core actually of what what we're doing, which is we're asking this question around why is it so hard for people? Okay. Yeah. It's really expensive, right? Um, yeah. It's really fucking inaccessible. Like it's hard to carve out 50 minutes a day. Um, uh, sorry, a week to go to therapy, right? Like that in and of itself. And, it, and, and it's so binary. Like your therapist either has a spot for you or doesn't. So yeah. you can't just drop in when you need it. Do a pop by with the therapist. Right, right, right. And so all of these things, which by the way, I totally understand why these encumberments exist, but they, they're encumberments and they make it very difficult. Yeah. And so I think our dramatic question, if I'm to borrow a word from my theater days, is how do we reduce the emotional barrier for people? 
not the accessibility, not the logistics, not the financial stuff. Those things are kind of like a no-brainer, of course. Yeah. But how do we l- start to fix the emotional problem? That's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, it is because, you know, I think people are starting to consume emotional, relational, mental health content sort of passively now. Like it mm-hmm. might be part of their feeds on social media and they're they're starting to at least explore these things. Of course, when you open the or undo the cap or open the lid to these types of things, you start to see, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of things I could process and I can, there's a never ending ability to get better, right? Like as soon as you enter personal growth, it's like, it can feel overwhelming because the growing never stops. Like you're always a student and you talked about that emotional barrier. And I think that's the conundrum of humanity, which is we usually wait till we have to face things or turn towards things. It's almost like the, um, the subtle emotional barrier is accepting that we have something to change or that we can orient towards relationship differently, Mm. which of course orients towards uh, mental health differently, emotional health, they're all similar. Thing that I think is interesting about it is it's almost like part of the solution is that you're passively consuming it. So you don't, you know, it's almost like, like I, I think when you go on something like Instagram, which I'm super grateful for as a platform, because, you know, without it, you and I wouldn't have become friends. Is this you pandering to the Instagram gods to like uh, unshadow ban you? Hey, but by the way, I'm super, which I'm super grateful oh, for and love Instagram. Super love you. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. I'm <laughs> to Instagram. This whole, the whole rest of the episode yeah. becomes like an Instagram ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If any executives are listening, if you could please adjust the algorithm uh, again. I mean, which is part of, I, I mean, I can get more into that because part of the thing I saw from the creator space is no one thinks about the mental health of the creator. Mm. No one thinks about the mental health of the practitioner generally. And I think as we're using these tools to create businesses, to help people to do that. um, And I think everyone is a creator on Instagram, right? Like that's the nature of an Instagram account is you are a creator. And of course there are people who have different things they create. But what I think is interesting about platforms like that is, and, and you've spoke, we've spoken privately about this, is that there is a shift to not providing content necessarily you follow anymore, which that's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. But especially in the last five to six months, and anyone I know who has a business that or you know that operates on Instagram specifically, Facebook fucked people a long time ago. Like they shifted their algorithm in one day, and people's businesses went from you know great to dead. Yeah, and not, and anyone I know is on Instagram. A lot of people have experienced that. Not everybody, but majority mm-hmm. in the last five six months. But what we've also seen, and you can speak more to this because I don't understand it necessarily as well, is that they're providing content that is stickier, not necessarily content you follow. So there's a lot more content that's being delivered to feeds that isn't actually from people I follow. It's just from, Hey, I, we think you're going to like this. And it, yeah. what do you call that content first? I forget what the language you use around that recommendation media. Yeah. So instead of social media, you know, just for context, right. Historically we've, we've, you know, starting with kind of, I don't know, going back to the live MySpace. journal, maybe even oh, days, but oh. yeah, my, my space, right. 
these social platforms are all built on social graphing, right? So it's the idea that I have a friend and I follow that friend and then I may follow that friend's friend. But ultimately there is like a web that gets created, sort of like a mycelium network, if you will. And Mm -hmm. uh, what TikTok did, which completely has sent Instagram kind of floundering, is uh, they just started prioritizing content that was totally random that people were stopping on. When you build a social platform, the hardest part about building a traditional social platform is that you have to have friends on it for it to be relevant to you. And what TikTok saw was this opportunity because they had purchased this company. It used to be Musical.ly and it was this kind of like make your own sort of music video app. And what they saw was there was all of this organic growth happening because people were just being entertained by content. And so they said, well, wait a minute. If the biggest barrier for someone to build a social media company is to get their friends using the platform, and that's very, 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 very hard these days. Um, Clubhouse was like a total anomaly. And even that didn't stick around. So it's very, it's very, very hard. They said, wait a minute, if we just go all in on being a user-generated media company instead of a traditional social network, you know, all of a sudden we don't need to have all the prerequisites that once existed to become a really big company. And they've done that. And what's been incredible is that it is really fucking entertaining. And they are so good at figuring out. Yeah, the algorithm is so good at figuring out what you, even if you stop on something, for just a few more seconds, that's how the algorithm works. Is it's it's based on what you stop on, and and the number of seconds that you stop on that thing for, and that starts to prioritize those things in the algorithm, and eventually all of that accumulates. It's really really wild because it is the future, I think, of where this stuff is going. But it also means that people are no longer seeing the things that they've asked to see. They're just getting fed the things that these media platforms want them to see. They may be good for them. You know, if you're somebody who is on a personal growth journey, your TikTok may be full of personal growth material. And that actually might be really helpful. And what you must know is that there is also an algorithm making sure that that stuff is not only helpful, but keeping you there. And so it's, it's, it's very tough to know, you know what is good and what is evil in these things. I am constantly going from one thing to the next. You know, I, I live a busy life and I'm often grabbing my nutrition on the go. And I, like you, I'm guessing, want to eat lots of greens. I want to crush greens all day long. I don't want to take the time to make a salad or do a juicing and have to deal with all that mess. And so Organifi's green juice has really been the answer for me. It's super simple. It just takes 30 seconds to prep. You got no shopping, no chopping, no juicing, no blending. You just add water, you mix it up, and you drink it up, and you let your body soak in the benefits. And they've recently just made their flavors super powered with crisp green apple, which I love, and also mint. So it has 11 superfoods, all of which are 100% organic. It has 600 milligrams of clinically proven ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that helps support a healthy response to stress, chlorella, moringa, spirulina, turmeric, and more, all of which work together in a sweet symphony of incredible energy-boosting and detoxing benefits. If you're looking for an easy, delicious, and cost-effective way to get your greens, 
Go to Organifi.com slash create the love. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash create the love and you save 20% off this green juice as well as all of Organifi's products. Yeah, it's also a fine line between what is ethical, you know, because is the data-driven uh, awareness of someone's unconscious patterns, right? Like even their unconscious extra microseconds on something that then drives, that's almost like how addiction continues, right? It's like we spend a little longer with the thing. It's like if you kind of hesitate a little when you see a beer being advertised and you're an alcoholic and all of a sudden you see beer everywhere, is that not exploitive? We would say that's exploitive of a potential addiction that you might have. Yeah. But we don't do that with content. And, you know, I notice, cause I'll say not interested about something so that I can curate my feed. Yeah. But they'll yeah. every once in a while drop in like a booty dancing or like some, you know, and, <laughs> they know you like, too well, buddy. <laughs> right. Like I'm a biological. You you're not interested at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I'm like, I try to stay not interested. So my feed doesn't have booties hitting the floor, but I know that on, I'm like, uh, I got to hit not interested because Kai's like, what are you looking at? <laughs> oh, this is great dance video. <laughs> Have you seen the guy who looks at videos and there's like a bunch of girls dancing who are in like, I don't know, bikinis or something. And then the wife's like, what are you looking at? And he's like, their lights out because the like bulbs burnt out in the scene. He's like, they <laughs> need to fix it. that. I think it is an interesting time because in that now what has happened with, dare I say, without our consent, is what we originally signed up for. Although there is passive consent by consuming the content, but what we originally signed up for on Instagram is different than what it now is. And that's the evolution of business. That's the evolution of everything. But imagine if, and you know, I, this is sort of the vision of mind is one, the creators are really valued at a high level and they're not exploited and extracted from, because what I noticed on Instagram that was happening for me. And I was saying this to a group I'm running right now, that if I was to start all over again, I would not run an Instagram now because of the mental health toll that it's had on me. Like I didn't know that at the time and no one knew that. And I'm very grateful for it again, Instagram executives. Thank you. I'm very <laughs> grateful for it. And if I was to start over, I would find a place that was really that valued me as a creator and wasn't going to just shift things. Cause I think one of the things about creating a business on Facebook or Instagram is that, or any of those is that they can literally just shift it and your business is gone. Yeah. And that, when I think about like liberated relationships, healing codependency, I think about relationships, like a good uh, um, analogy is that, I think about relationships where, let's say, traditionally, we look at history and we say where the man had all the money and then was the provider and the woman didn't. She stayed at home and, and took care of the kids or whatever the circumstance is. But it's that power structure is like the women often couldn't leave because there was financial dependency. Uh-huh. And that actual same power dynamic happens on these structures, even though we don't necessarily consciously understand that that happens. Yeah. And what I love about what we've created is it is about actually empowering and valuing the people who are the practitioners, because right. when you do that, 
you actually allow them to feel free, to feel like they're building something, they're part of something. And we're creating feeds that don't have these little booty pictures snuck in there. You know, like they're, (laughs) they're not about exploiting the person. They're about expanding the person. And again, like everything has a positive and a negative, you know, everything has a shadow side. So I, again, I, I'm not saying or discounting the value that has happened from these platforms, but I am saying that there is, when they are purely monetizing attention, like any company, they begin to just continue to extract. Well, I agree. I also think I want to challenge you on something you said, which is that like you wouldn't build your business on Instagram if you could do it over again. I think you have in your current seat the luxury of being able to say that. But I think the reality is most people can't. Most people have to build their business on these platforms because it's where the people are. In the words of Ariel from The Little Mermaid, I want to be where the people are. Okay, like people want to be where the people are. And um, that is a prerequisite to growing a successful business. And it actually, to me, this actually all comes back to such a interesting point, which I think I'm seeing this movement happen in the mental health space broadly, where there's sort of an uprising against a lot of mental health tech companies that are maybe exploiting folks and are maybe not super in alignment with their consumer. That I think is necessary. And I think like any other sort of movement, some people, some innocent people get caught in the shuffle of that. And there's a really interesting argument that I go back and forth with in my head, which is mental health companies like ours sort of ride this spectrum between we've got coaches, we've got therapists, we've got doctors, you know, like there is a broad spectrum of people helping. We don't follow a mind method. Everyone's got a different style of teaching. Everyone's got a different education background. And some may look at that and say, well, you shouldn't have a platform. You should all be certified clinical psychologists, PhDs, therapists. And I'm sure there's a point there. There's definitely an argument, right? But my argument is much greater, which is people are not responding to that. And so if you're, if you're trying to force feed people broccoli because they need vegetables and they're like, I'm not going to eat the vegetables. It doesn't matter how nice the broccoli is. I'm not eating it. Maybe you need to try green powder right? Like we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's one of the challenges in this space is that there is this kind of expectation that it either needs to be white coated lab people with all the certifications or it shouldn't exist. And I think what we're trying to let people know, and by the way, I think it's the same thing with Instagram, which is why I started making this point. I think with, you know, what we're trying to get people to see is that there's a, there's a lily pad there's like a space between. We're just saying, hey, we're just trying to get people to start that journey, to start wanting to invest in themselves. We don't need to be the clinical resource. And I think to bring the point back, it's the same thing with Instagram and social media, which is, um, it's really hard to know, like, fuck, well, where else are people going to get it? Like, is it okay that exists here? Because at least it's getting people to access it. And that's such a tough question to wrestle with. It is definitely a tough question because it's all about how do you ride this line or this balance? Because, you know, when we talk about why we created Mind, one from my experience as a creator, 
but maybe you could speak to your experience as a consumer, because I'm sure for you listening, you might relate to Aaron's experience. I had been working in the health and wellness space for, I don't know, about five years. And I met this woman who was so many things I wasn't. And we also shared a lot of really exciting things. And we, long story short, had this short, fleeting, but incredibly deep, powerful relationship that held a mirror to me in a way that nobody else had. And I thought I was a good communicator when I came into it. I remember thinking that about myself too. (laughs) (laughs) And boy, was I fucking wrong. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I was real wrong about that. And, um, and, and so she ended up breaking my heart and it was really my first ever heartbreak. Uh, I'd never really experienced that before. And I was rocked. I remember thinking, man, I have rolled my eyes at friends who have told me they're heartbroken. Like I always had trivialized heartbreak because I was like, ah, whatever, you'll get over it. It's like a relationship. <laughs> but you don't realize that it, so much of yourself, you wrap up into the relationship. And that's what I did, right? I like, I put so much of my self-worth. I put her on a huge pedestal. I put me in the dirt. I was like, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be with this person, which I was. And also she was lucky to be with me, but I didn't realize any of that. And when she canceled the relationship, I was like, oh, this feels like a canceling of me. This feels like she is saying, uh, I don't want what I saw. I don't want who you are. I don't like that. Mm. And so I, it sort of propelled me on this journey. Um, and I was doing a lot. I mean, I was in therapy. I was super lucky to be able to afford to go to therapy twice a week. I mean, I, I, you know, I cried every day for a month. It was like, it was the deepest, darkest pain. And I explored other stuff. I was reading, I was consuming, I was doing podcasts. I was doing this, doing that. And finally, a friend of mine is like, dude, take a breath. Like, <laughs> I see you on the hamster wheel. They're like, hey, man, you're killing it. You're, you're, su- you're such a good person now because you've been doing all this stuff. Just maybe slow down for a sec. And I did. And they sent me this, this Instagram post by you, which I, who at the time I didn't know. I don't know. You had maybe 150,000 followers when I, when, when I you know, first stumbled upon you. And The quote was something to the effect of, I never fully get this right, but it was something to the effect of love is life's greatest paradox because the deeper and harder you love, the more susceptible you are to pain and hurt, something like that. And my head exploded because I was like, whoa, yeah, I love the highs of life. And I've actually taken this quote and applied it to my entire life, which is like, if you want to feel the best parts of life, you got to be prepared to feel the shittiest parts of life. The contrast is necessary. Like you can't, mm-hmm. they don't exist without contrast. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the value and doesn't exist without contrast, which is a strange paradox because it's like, it is. wait, so the more I love, the more I'm going to hurt? Yep. Yeah. Welcome to life. You're not it's, broken. It, you're, you're paying attention. It's a beautiful thing, I think, when you can come to terms with that Yeah. in a way that doesn't uh, shut you off. It rocks your socks because then you're like, oh, wait, fuck, that's it. Yeah, that's life. That's death. That's black. That's white. You know, like that's yeah. the, it's, um, you're free though. Once then you realize that grief, fear, loss, all those things are not, they're not broken. You're just paying attention. 
So that, that really inspired me. And I started watching like every video you had. And I remember thinking, okay, not only do I see a lot of myself in this guy, but I remember thinking, man, he's so real and authentic and raw and kind of edgy. And he made this thing that I had experienced as being really clinical, really sterile, really distant, really hard for me to get excited about doing every day. And you, you made it feel way more familiar and way more human. And so uh, I ended up reaching out to you and saying, Hey, will you coach me? And you were like, yeah, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really coaching much anymore these days. And I was like, no, but we're going to have fun. And you were like, no, but like, I don't know you. So somehow I convinced you Mark fucking grooves into, uh, (laughs) Mark's holding up a coffee cup that he got that says Mark fucking grooves on it. The Um, best misspell I've ever seen in my life. Like, thank you for the second O to make me sound cooler. Yeah, which is funny because one of my nicknames for you is Mikey Grooves. Yeah. But but I digress. Yeah. So we ended up working together and you know, I healed from that heartbreak and then about a year later I came back to you and I said, "Look, I can't stop thinking about I can't stop thinking about you." Um <laughs> I can't stop thinking about this experience that we had and 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 my discovery of you and like why was it so hard for me to find you and why is it so hard for me to, you know, deepen my sort of interaction with you and and then I think, you know, you obviously can speak to the creator side and what you were kind of struggling with. But um, that was that was the experience that led to us starting this from my end. Yeah, because you came to me saying like, hey, what do you think about starting a Peloton, essentially, for emotional, relational wellness, emotion, uh, mental wellness? And I was like, uh, hell yeah, like that sounds incredible, which has gone through different iterations and growth. You know, now it's like, each expert has a feed where they can post and share and there's little mini communities. I mean, it's, it's really evolved into something so beautiful. You know, I think it's fascinating when you come up with an idea or you have a dream or a possibility and then when it is born, it then grows up, you know, and that's similar to what's, what's happened with mind. And from the creator side, I mean, yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that I started to feel this space where, Instagram and social media platforms were saying, Hey, like content's great, but we want content like this. And so it had to start to look a certain way in order to get reach. And while I understand that I started to experience this feeling of, Oh, I have to create this kind of content. And early in my career of creating and writing and sharing, I had made a commitment to myself, although I abandoned it, unfortunately, which caused me a lot of anxiety I didn't know the source of till I knew the source, but I had made a commitment that I would write about the things that mattered to me, no matter how popular they were. Like I do it for truth, not for, for applause. And these algorithms were shifting in a way that I started to shift to accommodate the algorithm. And Mm. that became self-abandonment. And you know what? This might sound weird to people, but what I was starting to experience when you start to shift your own behavior to accommodate an algorithm, you actually start to become a conduit for the extraction of attention from the people who consume your content. So you don't realize it, but you're really being used on some level. And I'm not dismissing my responsibility for the choice to participate, but I started to feel like I was becoming this conduit for attention extraction and I was agreeing to it. Mm. And that caused me like immense anxiety. You know, I didn't know it 
And then about a year and a bit ago, you know, when you came to me about mine, I could sense that there was something about, I wanted to create something differently. I wanted there to be a space where there were curated um, practitioners and, and a place that brought joy to people's lives and, and where they weren't getting the booty thing in the feed at the same time. <laughs> there's, there's apps for that. Okay. Right. Right. And I also wanted a place where I didn't have to shift who I was in order to get it to each follower. I also found it really interesting that all of a sudden my experience is obviously mostly centered around Instagram. So all of a sudden Instagram said, and Facebook did it too. They're like, Hey, not everybody who follows you is going to get your stuff anymore. Like yeah. we're going to show it to some of them. And then we're going to decide which content we show of yours. And all of this was just starting to cause me a lot of anxiety. And I really wanted when I, about a year and a half ago, I just had, man, I just remember this moment of, of having my head in my hands and thinking, like, I don't know if my mind can handle more of this. Mm. Like I felt it was the first time that I took a month off of Instagram and I had to take time off of work because I couldn't keep going in the direction I was going, but I didn't know why. Like it, yeah. I needed the pause in order to self-reflect and, and just really experience what was going on. And I remember having my head in my hands and thinking like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my mind. Like mm. I thought my mind might fracture and I started to cry and I just realized that I just couldn't keep going in the direction I was going um, again, not consciously. I just, I, again, I think this is how challenges show up when we suppress feelings, when we suppress uh, expression, when we suppress, I mean, granted, as that's all happening, there's also a worldwide trauma going on, you know, yeah. so this is all yeah. confounding. But then I was telling you, you know, and I was telling other people that in that time, I deleted Instagram from my phone and I had a whoop on and the whoop tracks your heart rate variability and the higher your heart rate variability, the more in sympathetic, in parasympathetic that you are, your nervous system is more in rest and digest because there's more variability between your heartbeats, but that's a whole other podcast episode. The good thing is the higher the number, the better. And I noticed when I wasn't consuming certain type of content and I didn't have the app on my phone, I was feeling better. I wasn't experiencing that when I was expressing online. Because there wasn't a filter needed. There wasn't a dance needed. I didn't need to point at shit to dancey music. You love the pointy videos. <laughs> Fucking those pointy videos. No offense if you do them. They're awesome if they're for you. But that, that like recognition of what I was going through, I just started to see like other people must be experiencing this too. And when I yeah. looked at the advent of sort of the increase in anxiety levels and social media platforms, you start to see how correlated those things are. And so I started to decide, okay, well, I'm going to use Instagram on my terms now, mm. which Instagram executives, if you could please adjust my algorithm for my terms, that'd be super <laughs> great because you apparently don't like my terms as much. And so mind really came along at a time, like, it's interesting how you feel a feeling or a desire or a dream or a possibility, and you don't actually know that it's going to be like it starts as a seed. It starts mm. as an idea from you. And, you know, previously my idea was like starting an online magazine where there was just tons of different creators, tons of different writers. 
And when you came with that idea, you don't realize that that idea in some way, I'm getting kind of emotional here, is uh, what exactly what you needed. Like exactly what you needed and exactly the iteration of how you envision both the expression and teaching and participation of community, which I think everybody is really feeling this call back to community. Yeah. This call back to shared values, this call back to like, we're all interested in growth. We're all interested in expansion. We're all interested in curiously exploring our relationship patterns or whatever it is. And so, man, it's amazing when that becomes the gift you need and exactly the solution in some way to where your anxieties were coming from. Like you don't know you're creating the thing that is actually what you ultimately wanted on the platform that you're trying to adjust yourself to meet an algorithm. And I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be beautiful if there was a place where there wasn't an algorithm that said you don't get to be you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the beauty of of entrepreneurship, and and one of the like beautiful parts of of life and and the world that we live in is that there's so much opportunity for us to build the things we want to see in the world, and that's what we've done, and it's what I think we are trying to empower people to do in this space. I think self help has this kind of negative connotation because how sad does that sound? Like self-help, like you have to, I have to do it all by myself. Right. But the reality is you're not doing it by yourself. And in fact, if you're only doing it by yourself, you're probably not getting anywhere. You're doing it with teachers. You're doing it with other folks. And I was just reading something the other day and I can't remember where I read it. And so, you know, don't quote me on, you know, the efficacy of this, but I was reading something the other day that said, the number one thing you can do to somebody who is struggling with any sort of mental, emotional challenge is just to tell them that they are not alone in this. It sounds kind of cheesy, honestly, but I think the reality is when I think back to my breakup, and I'm sure when you think back to that moment, you had your head in your hands and thought my brain's going to explode, you feel so fucking alone in those moments. You know, you're just like, man, like- It's terrifying. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's part of what's so scary about putting yourself in a position to feel the highest highs and also the lowest lows is that it has been historically a very lonely process to feel low and to feel down and to navigate. And that's a really big part of what we are trying to do is to make feeling and emotions and these life moments not feel so singular and not feel so scary. And honestly, to kind of say to you, hey, you're special, but you're not that special. For that to be like, oh, fuck, I'm so glad I'm not that special. Right, (laughs) right. Francis Weller talks about how there's a narcissism to suffering because Mm. we think that we're the only one. And then that causes us to isolate and and then believe no one can understand what we're going through. But he talks about how essentially when you start to share or participate in support in whatever avenue you're looking for, you actually start to see that you're not unique, as you're mm-hmm. saying. Like you start to see that actually other people have a path through this. Other people have walked this path. And that is actually great because although suffering can create isolation, it's the reason that emotional pain shows up in the same places in your brain as physical pain, as well as loneliness does too. 
is because in some way, the theory is that we're then like called to find other, called to find community. And in a culture or cultures that have celebrated overt individualism, uh, it's so important, as I said before, we return back to community. We return back to these spaces where we can grow together. You know, we can actually start to see that we are not alone. And I love what you said. I, I see the total value in saying to someone you're not alone because in the moment with my head in my hands, I did have, you know, three, four people around me who loved me, mm. you know, and it's almost like they know that I can't keep going in that direction and they might not be able to actually understand what's going on literally in my mind in that moment where I'm afraid. And I remember Googling, am I having a psychotic break or a nervous breakdown? And I was grateful to say I didn't go beyond like I paid attention to the red alert. Yeah. And, I, and when I look back, I see all the little moments of invitation to stop and orient differently. But I think when we say you're not alone, which is really what we, the intention of mind is, the intention of the app is, the intention of the experience, the intention of the teachers, is because there is this hand that shows itself to you, even if it's through a phone or it's through that says, Hey, we got you. And it, I think we need that, that like sense of hope, Definitely. you know, that can come from a friend texting, you know, it can come from someone saying, Hey, like you're not alone. If you need me, I'm here. And right. then we're like, Oh, there's like a, there's a North star. There's a light. And sometimes yeah. it's the only light. I think that is to me, the kind of bridge between where we are today and this idea that we're going to proactively be working on our emotions like we go to the gym. And there, there are plenty of people who are and are on that journey. And I know a lot of them who are, you know, on mind yeah. and Same. amazing members of the community. I think, you know, it's starting to encourage behavior of people who maybe aren't as deep in the work yet to recognize that even though their experience of therapy or mental health or the space may have been very binary in that like, I'm either dealing with insurance and paying lots of money and doing it or I'm not. Or uh, the other experience that I hear a lot of is like, it's hard to open a book or an app or look in the mirror and be reminded that I am sad or I am lonely or yeah. I am going through a breakup. Like it's hard to do that. But I think this invitation to be a part of something where everyone's kind of going, fuck yeah, like let's keep growing and supporting each other and let's do it in a space that feels dynamic and social and familiar, honestly. Like not like a weird, like sterile, freaky doctor's office. Like that's not what, where like people want to heal, um, right? Like I literally had to go to the hospital the other day for like a MRI and I was like, fuck, I hate it here. Like can they, can they not Whenever make they hospital? pull that paper out on the table and rip it off and it's like, it's like the kind of toilet paper that cuts your asshole, you know? Like it's not friendly <laughs> paper. I'm like, can we just make this better? Can we just make right? this not can feel- Can just add one more layer to the toilet paper? Like right. why does it have to be a knife to wipe your ass, you yeah. know? Anyways. It's, it's, it's wild. And I also love what you said about the, the Francis Weller thing because, you know, there is this total narcissism. It's so funny. I've never heard that before. And it like that really hits. There is this total narcissism in our pain. And I will tell you what totally flipped that on its head for me was COVID. Because 
I think about something like Hurricane Katrina or 9-11, right? And horrible, horrific shit. And maybe this is like a bad example. It probably is. But as Americans, right, there was like a sense of pride in our pain of like, oh, like, you know, friends from Canada, you know, would text somebody in New York or like, you know, you just, you saw, there was almost this moment that through the horrific shit that was going on, there was like something about talking about it that like you wrapped your identity in. Again, really bad examples. I don't want to reduce the horrificness of any of that, but I remember thinking about COVID. Oh, it's so weird that I like can't call my friends in Thailand and be like, guys, this is so crazy what's happening because everybody was doing it. And there was almost something that made it more frustrating that like you couldn't even wear it like it was this. Like it was unique. Yeah, like it was unique. And like that is such a weird phenomenon Mm, of That's really interesting. I've never thought about that. That there's almost like a, especially if we source connection through our pain or our trauma or experiences, Mm -hmm. And that's the way we connect, which think about how many people connect through complaining, how many people yeah. connect. And it's like, man, imagine if we connected through the things we're loving about life or like adventure or joy, which in romantic relationships, no shock when there's novelty, when there's adventure, connection stays because yeah. we associate our partner with novelty and connection, which I mean, even if that's a hack, quote unquote, take it because it it rocks and you get to do new cool shit all the time, which could be like cool positions and, you know, getting on some new app I heard about called Field. By the way, have you heard about this app? Oh, I've I've heard about Field. I didn't know about it. Someone just told me about it. I'm like, what's (laughs) that? You don't know about this? Yeah, Um, it's, it's wild. You know, maybe we can just close out for you listening just to give you an idea of what you can find online. You know, there's lots of experts from all different areas of life. Uh, you know, we really value diversity and, and that's a core intention of the app too, because not everyone wants to hear from me. You know, I obviously don't um, appeal to everybody. That's pretty clear on my Instagram DMs. And basically anything you're going through, there is a series on. <laughs> like I can yeah. say that with confidence. I forget how many videos do we now have? I don't know, probably Seven. over 2,000 at this point. Right, which is crazy. And we, the videos tend to be anywhere from like 10 to 30 minutes. They're not higher than that. You can literally learn about anything you want. You get a one-week free trial, and you can go check it out. You can fully immerse yourself. And seriously, you can go and learn about anything you're going through right now. And you can join in live sessions. You can interact with the experts. You can dive deeper into the communities and you can meet other experts through it, which I really love, other curators of this content, of this teaching. And uh, I think that's what's so great is, is there's like a social connection to other people who, not just users who have an interest in a similar space, but also teachers. And, you, you know, I've always thought like, as I said earlier, I'm not the teacher for everyone. And my teachers have changed throughout my lifetime. You know, I sort of like learned something immerse myself in their content, their thought, their world, and then shift. And and there's an opportunity to do that on here. At the end of the day, on a mission to help people celebrate their emotions and help people navigate life with a little less stress and a little more joy, right? I think at the core of what we're doing 
is really that. We're helping you get clear on how you're feeling. And then we're helping you basically figure out how to put, learn new tools and put those tools into practice. It's very practical what we do on mind. It is not a bunch of like scientific theory. It's really like, hey, how do I navigate these challenging moments that most people go through? And then how do I, how do I have upkeep and how do I start exploring other areas of expansion? So we'd love you to, to join us, to join the community. It's an amazing group of folks who are dedicated to bettering themselves, to growing, to supporting others in that same quest. And we have the most amazing, engaged experts who really, really care about the work that they're doing. This has been a, uh, a great chat, Mikey Grooves. Aaron, thanks for coming on and sharing and, and participating in what has been a really lovely dialogue. I'm happy to introduce you to the world as my third, uh, as my extra. <laughs> and um, also, for you listening, you can go to the link in the show notes to go download the app, or you can go to Mark Groves, my name, dot do you mind, M-I-N-E-D dot com. Easiest, obviously, to go to the link in the show notes, and it'll take you right to the App Store, no matter your device. Would love to have you there. And Aaron, thanks for being here. Where can people find more about you? You could follow me on LinkedIn, um, which is such a funny thing to plug. Um, I'm going to put on my collared shirt before I go to LinkedIn. That's great. (laughs) You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, And honestly, join Mind. I'm in the comments. Often, I'm sharing what I'm going through there. I think that's a really good place to interact with me. I'm very active in the community and, you know, a big part of what we want to do is model the behavior that we want to see in the world. And I'll see you there. Much love, brother. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.